All right, now it's time for the sermon, which will be brought to us by our elder, Steve Andrews, appropriately titled, First Day of Unleavened Bread. Hallelujah. Praise God. We get the tremendous privilege of being a part of the plan of God as he is working it out through his holy days. I think this is such a wonderful and tremendous thing that we get to, get to participate in. That God looked down on you and I and said, I would like for you to share in my kingdom. That I would like for you to be a part of what I have planned for you throughout all eternity. And it's interesting that he has set these holy days, and this is a very special high holy day, the Sabbath of Sabbaths, and the first day of unleavened bread. As we get to look into that tremendous plan that he has set aside for you and I. The, it's amazing when you go through the scriptures and you look and you realize that God is looking for individuals to be a part of that plan to be a part of his kingdom. We go all the way back to Genesis. When God picked a very special individual. And we've read this many times before, but it's appropriate for this particular day. And I'll look at my clock here. <laughs> I'm one of those that have a difficult time keeping it in the time limit. So we go back to Genesis, the 15th chapter. A man by the name, at that time, of Abram. He had an ending. And God looked down and saw something in this man, maybe that was totally different than anyone else at that particular time. And the promises and the things that he told this man and how it's worked out down through the ages and all the things that we see that God has worked out beginning essentially with Abram, although he worked earlier with others. But this man, who he told him his seed his seed would be like the stars of the heavens, like the sand of the sea. It's interesting in verse 6 of chapter 15. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Belief in what we're doing, belief in what God is doing in each and every one of us is so vital. So absolutely important. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. God personally looked down upon Abram and says, I am the one that called you to bring you out of this Ur of the Chaldees to give you an inheritance. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me a heifer, and three, uh, a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a, and a young pigeon. Now, Brahm was not totally without understanding of God, but I'm sure those that particular group of uh, of animals may have been a little bit, you know, they might have been thinking about it. 
And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another. But the birds he divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. It would be very difficult here, all these bloody sacrifices and the fowls coming down, so he had to drive them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, a horror and a great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that your seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation when they shall ser- that whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall I shall they come out with a great substance. They shall come out with a great substance. And you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come here again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. There's a lot of meat in these words. And of course, we have to kind of pick the things that we can bring out. And I have a lot more to say, so we have to kind of skip some of these more, some of these very profound and interesting things that are in the Bible. The iniquity of the Amorites was not quite fulfilled, not yet fulfilled. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. And the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Brethren, when the Lord makes a covenant, He stands behind it. There is nothing greater in the universe. And there is nothing more important than the Word of God when He makes a covenant and says that He will do it. Because He will... He will do it, and it will be accomplished. Those are powerful words. The Lord made a covenant. So let's go and look. The accomplishment. Let's start in Exodus, the 11th chapter. And Moses said, verse 4, Thus says the Lord, About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt. And all the firstborn of the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sits upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of the beast. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. Against all the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue, against man or beast, that you may know how that the Lord does put a difference between Egypt, the Egyptians, and Israel. And all these thy servants shall come down unto me and bow down themselves unto me, saying, Get you out, and all the people that follow you. And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in a great anger. And Moses and Aaron did all those wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go out of the land. God had to do one more miracle, didn't he? One more powerful miracle. All of the firstborn. But the Israelites were protected, weren't they? This first Passover was a very profound and very interesting Passover. And the Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months, and it shall be the first month in your year unto you. Speak you also unto the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take of them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for the house. And if the household be too little for a lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your account for the lamb. 
Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Yea, shall it take, uh, you shall take it out of the sheep or out of the goats. And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and the upper door post of the house wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Eat not it raw or nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs and with the pertness thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remains of it until the morning you shall burn with fire. And thus shall you eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. This first Passover was a time of salvation, a time of release for a nation that had been in bondage for a very long, long time. And they may not have all understood what God was doing, but this was very, very profound for these people. He says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night. I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment. I am the Lord. I gave a covenant to Abram, who became Abraham, who was my friend, and I'm fulfilling that covenant today. And the blood shall be to you a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and, pl and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, and you shall keep it a feast and an ordinance forever. And then we go into the days that we have today, the seven days of unleavened bread. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And there's a great significance, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, about these days of unleavened bread. Even the first day you should put away leaven out of your houses, for whosoever each leavened bread. From the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. The first day there shall be a holy convocation. We're here, brethren. We obey the Lord. It shall do no manner of work. It shall be done in them, save which every man must eat. That only may be done. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For in this selfsame day I have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall you observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. Now there's a lot to um, this narration that goes on here. But I would like to skip over now to um, verse 29 of uh, chapter, chapter 12. And it came to pass that midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat upon his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up, get you forth from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, Go serve the Lord as you have said, and also take your flocks and your herds as, as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we'll all be dead men. And they probably would have been. God was serious. He had brought all those plagues upon them, and this was the final plague. All of the firstborn. He was very serious. And the people took their dough before it was leavened, and their kneading troughs before being bound upon their clothes, upon their shoulders, and the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver, jewels of gold, and raiment, 
And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. And I was reminded last night, I, I thought about this. You go and you read about the tabernacle in the wilderness. And they asked to be give, you know, to give for the tabernacle. And they came forth with some of the most beautiful and wonderful things. And they made the, the tabernacle into gold and precious uh, raiment and everything. It, was, it must have been a, a beautiful and most fabulous site for that tabernacle to move with the Israelites as it is right there. And that glory of the Lord being with them. The children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men besides children. That's a lot of people. Maybe 1.6 million, they say. That'd be a lot of people moving out of that area. And a mixed multitude went up with them in flocks and herds, even very much cattle. And they baked unleavened cakes of dough, which they brought forth out of Egypt. For it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not tarry, neither had they prepared for themselves any victual. Now the sojourning, and this is very important to understand, the sojourning of the children of Israel, who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the self-damed day, it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt, just as God promised, just as God promised. It is a night to be much observed unto the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. It is that night of the Lord to be observed in all the children of Israel in their generations. Sometimes we get a little confused about the, the order of the days. I'd like to turn to, well, first I'd like to turn to Leviticus 23. That's always... Uh, a tradition on, the, on all of the holy days, because this is where all of the holy days are outlined. And it should be read on that holy day for all of us to understand that these are not, they don't belong to us individually. They belong to the Lord. We had an excellent message on a pointed time in which God is here. God calls us. He's here with us. Today And he expects us to be here on his appointed time. Speak unto the children of Israel, verse 2, and say unto them concerning the feasts of the Lord. Not the feasts, my feasts. Not the church's feasts, but the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Even these are my feasts. God came up with these. He's the one that designed these. They have a specific purpose. They, they bring a message of salvation and of hope to everyone that keeps them. Six, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations which you shall proclaim in their seasons. Verse 4, in the fourteenth day of the first month, that even is the Lord's Passover. And in the fifteenth day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. You must eat unleavened bread. You take that in on a daily basis, seven days. The first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no work therein. And we're gathered together for a holy convocation. That means a holy gathering. A time that God calls us together in His presence. The first day you shall have a holy convocation, you shall do no servile work therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. And the seventh day is a holy convocation, you shall do no work therein. So we see 
these days enumerated in Leviticus 23. And one more, and I know our pastor loves, likes to, to do this one, and it's a very interesting study. The very, all of the different, um, in Numbers, the uh, 33rd chapter, the journeyings of the children of Israel as they, they go from one itinerary to the next. And that's quite fascinating. And um, <clears throat> I won't be going through those today, but it is interesting that it does enumerate and, and help us to understand this uh, separation between Passover and the days of unleavened bread. In verse 1, it says, These are the journeys of the children of Israel, which went forth out of the land of Egypt with their armies under the hand of Moses and Aaron. And Moses wrote their goings out according to their journeys and the commandment of the Lord, by the commandment of the Lord. And these are the journeys according to their going out. And so and Moses was commanded by the Lord. You write this down. This is where you started. This is where you stopped. This is where you started. This is where you stopped. <laughs> and so you can read through all of this chapter. And then it's very fascinating. You go back and you can uh, kind of place where they were and what they did. And, and each one of these places where they stopped, they had a, a certain thing happen. Or maybe it was just a place where they camped that night and God wanted them to go on. But each one of these has uh, some very interesting things that, that happened to the children of Israel. But the first departing out of Egypt, and they departed from Ramesses in the first month, on the 15th day of the first month, on the morrow after the Passover. Remember what it said there. They had to stay in their houses until midnight. I mean, until uh, the next morning. Because well, God came through and was killing all of the firstborn of the Egyptians. They couldn't walk out or they would die also, if, especially if they were the firstborn. So they stayed in their house. And the next day, then it was the daylight portion. So the <clears throat> on the morrow after the Passover, the children of Israel went out with a high hand in the sight of the Egyptians. They went out with a high hand. They had all of this substance that God had promised Abram, or Abram at the time, or Abraham. They had all this substance, and they were going out in the presence of the Egyptians with a high hand. A very powerful scenario. That God worked out. Now we have a covenant also that God is working out with every individual that He's calling today. It's interesting in Daniel, the ninth chapter, and just one verse. I picked this one out. This was His prayer. He says, I, And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant. O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love Him and to them that keep His commandments. God is a covenant keeper. He keeps His word. When He says He will do something, He will do it. Just like he told Abram, I will bring your people, these people out and they'll come back into this land. And he did it. And they did it. Even though they griped and complained, they saw the miracles and they still griped and complained. The Bible says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. There's one whose life was totally unleavened. And we all know who that is. He walked this earth without sin. And he made a lot of enemies. And yet he also has brought a lot of us into his kingdom, hasn't he?
Jesus Christ. He truly was the bread of life. In John, the sixth chapter, a few verses here, on this day, we look at that one that was truly unleavened as he walked this earth, as he spoke, as he taught, as he ministered, as he healed people. And they hated him for it. I, I still, it's hard to understand. It's hard to read these words. It's Jesus. I mean, he wasn't there. He was there to proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet they hated him for it. He was despised because he brought this message. And those that should have known who he was rejected him. In verse 48, he says, I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. And that was another miracle for 40 years. They had that every day, day in and day out. God used manna as a, as a test. He would, uh, six days they would have this, what's it, out there. And it would nourish them. And they could cook it and use it. On that sixth day, they get a double portion so they wouldn't have to go look for it on the Sabbath. And it sustained them and gave them life. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Those people, your fathers, they did eat that manna that watched it in the wilderness and they're dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. Brother, this is a promise. This is a covenant promise from Jesus Christ. Remember also, because he says, those are the words from the Father, so this is a covenant promise from the Father and the Son, that you, if you take of that bread, you shall not die. You have the hope and the confidence that you can believe in eternal life in the kingdom of God. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I'll give for the life of the world. And so we see that he is that bread. And God keeps his promises And I'm so very thankful. It's a very interesting thing that we have seven days of unleavened bread. You know, seven is perfection. Seven in the Bible is perfection. We eat that unleavened bread seven days. It says you must eat it. Put all the leavening out and you must eat that leavened bread, unleavened bread every day. Well, Jesus is that unleavened bread. So we're, and symbolically, as we think about this, aren't we putting Christ into our life? We should be doing this every day, 365 days in the year. But during this time of the year, we're reminded, we're reminded that we should be taking that in every day, seven days a week. 365 days a year. The importance of that bread from heaven. And I had, um, let me go back here. I want to make sure this is where I wanted to go. I've got Exodus 13. And sometimes when you're putting a message together, I'm not sure why you went back to, to there. But I'm sure that I must have had some reason. Oh, yes. Now, the emphasis is, again, and I read it before, but the emphasis here, seven days you, uh, you shall eat unleavened bread, and the seventh day shall be a feast in the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and there shall no leavened bread be seen with you, neither shall there 
be leavened, seen with you in all your quarters. So the emphasis is on eating the unleavened bread and having no leavened bread for seven days. Christ is truly unleavened as we should be unleavened. Let's um, now turn to uh, um, 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter today. Paul had a, a very unpleasant thing that he had to deal with. The Corinthian church had some problems, and uh, the ministry sometimes has to deal with those problems. And yet he used the opportunity, used these, this particular time to also teach the lesson about this particular day and about sin and about putting sin out and being unleavened. He says, reported commonly among, commonly that there is fornication among you. And such fornication is not, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 1, uh, is not such as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. You are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has done this deed. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in that day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. He says, Know you not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? It can corrupt the whole congregation. It can make it very, very difficult. He says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. And I've always kind of thought about that. Why would he say that? Why would he say that? Well, if they've been taught about the days of unleavened bread, they went in and physically cleaned the leaven out of their houses, but they hadn't cleaned the leaven out of their lives, out of their congregation. They were allowing the sin to continue on, and they, were, and they weren't even considering that. And Paul had to, to help them to understand that the, that that leavening, that physical leavening also must apply to the spiritual part. It can't just be the, the one-sided. You can't just clean out your house of the crumbs and the, and the leavening and not work on the spiritual part in your life. So that's what he's trying to help them to understand. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. He added that for emphasis. Christ has been sacrificed for you. And you're allowing this to go on. And you have this feast, the picture's putting sin out, and you're allowing sin to continue and to corrupt your congregation. He says, therefore, let us keep the feast not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened, and the word bread is in italics, but it is the days of unleavened bread, so it fits good, but also understanding that this is a spiritual concept, the unleavened of sincerity and truth. The unleavened of sincerity and truth. And so, those were the things that... <clears throat> Paul was bringing out to that congregation. So what about each and every one of us as we approach these days? We have seven days in which we're eating the unleavened bread and we're putting our hearts and our minds to the things that we need to be doing in our life to change, to overcome. Putting the sins out. 
It's interesting that in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, Paul gives us some instruction about those that instruct each of us on this way of life. He says, he gave some apostles, verse 11, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. We have, I think, you know, except for any apostles, we, or maybe uh, <clears throat> prophets, we do have all the rest of them. We're, <clears throat> we reach out with pastors and teachers, and, and we evangelize. He says, this is for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's what the ministry is for. It's not for, for overseeing and, 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 you know, your life. It is for edifying. It is for strengthening you. It's for giving you confidence. It's for helping you to believe that this is the right way of life. That way, the way you're, that you're walking in this life is the right way. Believing in Christ is the right way. That when we get up here, that's what we should be doing. Edifying, strengthening, helping you to to be confident in this way of life, to be excited about the kingdom of God coming to this earth, looking forward to that. He says, till we all come in the unity of the faith. It's interesting. There's going to be those who are babes in this way, who are coming and learning for the first time maybe. And then there's going to be those all the way and progressing and understanding and learning and even in, in spiritual uh, um, growth and bearing fruit and all of the things that the Bible talks about. And so th that's part of the training, the things that, we're, the, that we go through. No matter how long you are in the church or how long God gives you in this life, you constantly are learning and overcoming and growing in this way. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God under the perfect man, that's the mature person, and here's the key. Now, I always thought this was profound. Under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Our example is not one another. Our example is Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. And he gave us wisdom and, and truth and things that we should be doing in our life. He gave us commandments that we need to be following. And he is the one that we should be measuring our life against. How much have I grown in this last year in comparison to how Christ walked on this earth? We know we <laughs> very much fall short of that particular, but someday we shall be in the kingdom. God promises that. Ephesians, the fourth and fifth chapters, are two very wonderful chapters this time of the year. I have a few minutes here before uh, this is finished up, so I'd like to read those words. Paul really gave us to, to encourage us and also to help us to understand um, how we need to change and what we need to change. Paul says in verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. If you've been baptized and you believe that you have God's Holy Spirit, you have been called. And you have a vocation. And you have a responsibility to that vocation. And he says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He says there's one body, one Spirit, even as you are called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. That is such a fantastic verse right there. He was willing to give up his life, and now we have grace according to that measure, that gift of Christ. 
Wherever they said when he ascended up on high, he left captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And I would like to now skip down to, um, there's a verse there. Verse 17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of your mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. We've come out of this world. We've come out of the blindness of this world. It's like David with a paper that had the uh, scriptures right at the top and then went right into to Easter. They, they, they're blind. They see one thing and then they just are blind to the paganism that's a part of that. And we've come out of that. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, have we? We've, we've learned a different Christ. We've learned about the holy days. We've learned about the sacrifice, the Passover, who is Jesus Christ. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, and that word really is conduct. The way we were. We're to put that away. That old man. We're to get rid of that. According to the deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man. Which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That new man. That spirit that dwells in us. Is created in righteousness and true holiness. God wants us to live a righteous life. To be holy as He is holy. He wants us to be perfect as He is perfect. That's our goal. That's where we're, we're striving for. And it usually takes a lifetime, doesn't it? Of striving against the world, or striving against our own flesh. He says, wherefore putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we were members one of another. He says, be you angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. These are words inspired by God for us who are keeping these days of unleavened bread and putting sin out of our lives and trying to have more of a Christ-like spirit. Neither give place to the devil. You know, he, he wants us to sin. He wants us to fail. Christ is there to get us and help us to be into the kingdom. It was interesting in the garden. In the garden. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me that I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. That's the kind of relationship that we should have with Jesus Christ, isn't it? It should be so familiar to pick up this book and read his words and realize those are speaking to me. Those are the words that he is talking to me, helping me to overcome this world. Let him that's Stole, steal no more, but rather let him labor, verse 28, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. And today, this society is filled with corrupt communication. <laughs> it's very hard, even on the radio anymore. They used to have a lot of... of um, rules and regulations, but it seems like those are breaking down. And now we've, not only have we lost the ability to speak in English, 
we use a lot of, as they said in Star Trek, colorful metaphors to make it our point. Instead of being articulate and understanding, we use foul language. God says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of the edifying that it may minister grace unto the errors. So if we were to come up on the radio, we, we should be <clears throat> trying very hard to do just exactly that, to minister grace unto the, unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Oh, that's hard to, that one right there, to grieve the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit comes from God. So when you grieve the Holy Spirit, you're grieving God. <laughs> you're grieving Jesus Christ. You're making them sad. Because you are going astray. Or I'm going astray. I'm including myself in this. We are going astray when we grieve the Holy Spirit. And it says we're sealed in the day of redemption with that Holy Spirit. It is an important part of our spiritual life that that Spirit stay well and be like a wellspring that flows in and out of us. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be you kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Just like that example prayer. Forgiving debts. God will forgive us as we forgive our trespasses and our debtors. Be you therefore followers of God as dear children. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for an offering and as a, and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And unfortunately, Paul understood the nature of men. <laughs> but he said, fornication and all uncleanness and covenances, let it be not once named among you as become saints. That's the whole point of the days of unleavened bread. We're putting sin out of our life. And if we've had problems with some of this, we, this is the time to think about those and to work on getting that sin out of our life. All uncleanness or covenants, let it not be once named among you. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving thanks. For this you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean spirit, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not you therefore partakers with them, for you were sometimes in darkness, but now are in the light, and the Lord walk, and walk as the children of light. Why go back into the darkness? Why go back into these days that have no meaning whatsoever? The helicopters with eggs dropping them on people? What does that mean? <laughs> One guy asked, well, what about rabbits? Are they going to drop them too? It's so silly. It's so silly. It's foolishness. God has given us this truth. It's in this word. Sometimes it's, it's so dark out there and they're, and, and they're so confused and they think it's so wonderful and they don't understand. So don't partake with them. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Verse 9. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of these things which are done of them in secret. 
But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. And that light is in this book. You don't understand. This, this has the light in it. Commandments of God. The truth of the word of God. It is light. Wherefore he says, Awake you that sleep, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be you not unwise, but understanding what is the will of the Lord. The will of the Lord is to keep His holy days. The will of the Lord is to keep the Sabbath. And be you not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. But be filled with the Spirit of God. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, make melody in your heart to the Lord. It's a joy when we hear the worship of God as we did today. It's a joy when there's the brethren get together and we can rejoice and speak one with another. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have seven days of the Days of Unleavened Bread. A time to renew. A time to be strengthened. Oh, this is... Uh, I'm not talking about resolutions or anything like that. I'm talking about overcoming. That's what the Bible talks about. It talks about realizing who or what we are. And we took time to before the Passover. And it's wonderful that God gives us that Passover once a year that we might have a refreshing new beginning. But it's another year, and we're going to have to struggle with our own nature. We're going to have to work hard to overcome certain things that are probably going to hang on when that old man just doesn't want to give up. And so during these seven days, let's take the time to think about that and try to really go before God and ask Him to help us to overcome some of those old men that have been hanging around, or old ladies that have been hanging around. We want to get rid of them and put on the perfection that is Jesus Christ. Remember, he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven.